Hey, welcome back to Anti-Social Studies. I'm Emily Glankler, a history teacher from Austin, Texas, and I am really excited about my episode today, especially about my guest, Dara Star Tucker. For those of you who don't know, she is like a pretty big deal on TikTok. I'm going to be honest, when I emailed her, kind of cold emailed and was like, would you ever want to come on my, my podcast and teach me about something? And she responded enthusiastically, yes. I was a little bit giddy. She has a million followers on TikTok. You can go follow her at Dara Star with two R's Tucker. And she's also very active on Instagram as well. And she's just a fascinating, intelligent, wonderful woman. She's a singer, a musician. She talks about culture. She talks about the black experience. And she also talks a lot about history and gives historical context, especially to a lot of like social issues and current conversations that we're having. So if you like my kind of stuff, you're going to love her stuff too. Today's episode, Dara is going to teach me all about Lincoln and specifically Abraham Lincoln's stance and his kind of changing stance on slavery and black Americans, essentially. And I genuinely think this episode is a really important lesson on nuance, right? So if you're coming into this episode and you don't want a nuanced discussion of race and racial attitudes in the 19th century, you go to some other podcast. This episode, we're going to get into it, the nuance and the difficulty of really, truly trying to understand people from the past, that it's not, pardon the pun, black and white, that people like Lincoln can be both a hero and a villain, depending on what story you're telling, who you're telling it to, and what facts you're focusing on. And so I'm really excited to have this conversation with Dara, and I'm really excited for you to hopefully listen and learn from this conversation about how I think history should always be talked about, right? There should be so much gray in history, and we should all be willing to be a little bit uncomfortable, to take down some of our kind of godlike historical figures, of which Lincoln is one, and be willing to analyze him as a real-life human being and understand that the things we learn about him that are not very great don't necessarily diminish the incredible contributions that he made to our country as well. We're not going to be, you know, advocating that we tear down Lincoln statues at the end of this episode, I promise. This is Anti-Social Studies. I'm Emily Glinkler, and my guest is Dara Star Tucker. Settle in and let's go back in time. Welcome to Anti-Social Studies. My name is Emily Glankler, and I'm really excited because I have a guest today, Dara Star Tucker. And one thing that I was really impressed by is that you have a Wikipedia page, which you might not think is very cool, but I thought was very impressive. <laughs> I was really intimidated when I saw you had a Wikipedia page. Oh my goodness. Please don't be. No, that's, yeah, it's old news to me at this point. I'm a singer as well, so it's kind of something that comes with that territory, yeah. I guess. And I've, I've been a singer for a long time. So yeah, it's it's necessary. And I guess it it's, can be a little bit impressive, I suppose, to, to one or two people. But I mean, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of people out there that don't have a Wikipedia page, myself included. <laughs> so I'm just saying. But yeah, so Dara Star Tucker, you're a singer, a writer, social commentator, right? Is that all? Basically, mm -hmm. like you have a voice and you use it in a lot of different ways. That seems to be the yes. takeaway. Okay. Yes, that Perfect. that's kind of the theme. Yeah, I'm a storyteller. I should that should probably just be the one thing that's listed in my profile is that I'm a storyteller. So I love yeah, that. that's the way all those things relate to each other. Oh, that's amazing. And I first found you on TikTok. Um, so if you're not already, you should be following her on TikTok, Dara Star Tucker. Um, and you, yeah, I mean, social commentary is maybe the best kind of general niche if you have a niche, right? But you often are sharing history from a different lens that I've either never 
really learned about, or more often it's something that I've learned about in a more traditional sense, and then you shine like a new light on it, makes me think of it in a new way. And so, so I'm really excited to talk to you today, especially about this topic. So um, you're going to talk to me a little bit about Lincoln, but I guess before we get into that, is there anything else you want to add about your biography? When you introduce yourself to people, anything else you feel like people should know about you? Um, I was homeschooled a lot of the time. Hmm. I, I know it's kind of probably a weird thing to interject right now, but someone someone commented on, on my post today because I just did, I'm doing a two-part series on socialism, and so I'm kind of, kind of getting into breaking down what is socialism versus communism versus yeah. capitalism and what is a democracy versus, you know, social Democrat and all of this stuff. And someone commented today under my, on my Instagram under that post and said, thank you so much for this. This is a great resource. I, I homeschool my children. And I'm going to use this as a resource for them. And that's, it's always cool for me to see that educators, including yourself are plugged into what I do yeah. because it lets me know that I have done my due diligence with sourcing my information properly and that you feel a certain amount of confidence with relaying this information to your to your readers or taking this information in yourself and just for your own um, for your own um, betterment or, or whatever. So that yeah. that is the greatest compliment to me to see that that educators can plug into what I do and especially to see like a, a mom like that to comment and say, this is a resource for me in, in teaching my own children, you know, through homeschool. So I just kind of want to get that that little plug in that, you know, I'm just I'm all for uh, parents who who take on that job of educating their children uh, themselves because that's tough. I, I know yeah. from personal experience that's a difficult thing to do. So yeah, just a shout out to, to homeschool parents and, and kids. Totally. And I think in this day and age too, it's like home, parents who are full out homeschooling and the parents I come across a lot, parents who are supplementing their kids' education, right? I mean, yes. I know depending on where I teach in Texas. And so I do know there are a lot of parents who go, okay, well, I'm going to use some of these podcast episodes because I want to make mm. sure my kid learns about this thing. Right. They might not be learning about it anymore. So yeah, right. I think it's so important. And it's funny because you say that and that makes a lot of sense because when we were first kind of getting started, um, you kind of made sure to clarify, you're like, I'm not a historian, you know, like I'm a, I'm like a writer and stuff. And I could tell you felt like a little bit self-conscious and it was like, well, you are to me, like the way, the way I see your videos, but it's like, that's, I think it's that imposter syndrome. I feel it because yeah. like, oh, I don't have a PhD in history. So who am mm -hmm. I to call myself a historian? Right. But, um, but I will just say from one historian to another, I think you qualify for sure. So <laughs> well, I'm an amateur, you're a professional. So. Well, I'm yeah, a professional I'm, I'm... with 15 year olds. So yeah. <laughs> Well, it's kind of funny that you say that because when I when I talk about what I do, I always go out of my way to say, and even like I said, I did that video on, on socioeconomic systems and my content, I say all the time to my husband, my content is geared to 15 year olds, mm -hmm. to a smart 15 year old who maybe is an AP history or something like that. Yeah, That's exactly who I gear my content too, because I feel like there's a lot of, there's a lot that's out there for people who really know what's going on yes. and are well-versed in all of this stuff. But for people who maybe learned this stuff years ago or people who never really plugged in and, you know, it, most people are, are at that age, right around there of, of yeah. probably a high schooler who's just now taking in this information who never really took it seriously. So that, that is the person I have in mind is a 15 year old, fairly smart, fairly plugged in 
um, curious person. Yes, curious. Exactly. Your um, your audience and my audience are the same. The Venn diagram <laughs> would be a circle because it's the exact same thing. It's it's either actually 15 year olds who are taking history in high school or it's, you know, 40, 50, 60 year olds who right. are like, dang, I wish I'd paid more attention exactly. to these history classes or I wish I'd had a teacher who explained these sorts of things. So, yes. So with that, I think this topic that you're going to talk about is perfect because it's, it's a guy, Lincoln, who I'm pretty sure we've all heard of, but we're going to have... <laughs> Have some nuance to that. So what was the topic that you wanted to kind of talk to me about just generally? Well, I mean, this was such a hard thing to nail down. You're like, mm -hmm. well, what can you talk about that doesn't require you study? And of course, being the nerd that I am and just the over preparer that I am, of course, mm -hmm. I treated this like I was preparing for a, a midterm or something like me that. Me too. My, like, notes on, to... <laughs> my notes on my topic are robust. <laughs> I mean, I was terrible because I didn't write, really write notes, but I did a talk a couple of weeks ago for Juneteenth mm. for a corporation. They brought me in to do a talk on this. And so thankfully, some of that is still fresh in my mind. Good. But it's such a vast topic. But what I, what I suggested that I talk about was, was Lincoln's history on race. Like yeah. his personal feelings and his, you know, how, how can we trace what his actual personal position was on the issue of race? Yeah, which is so fascinating. And what I'm finding with all these conversations I'm having is it's just such a great opportunity for nuance and to discuss complexity in history that there's not heroes and outright villains. Everyone's mm -hmm. very complicated, right? And I think that, you know, I'm all for obviously learning history on TikTok and YouTube, but often we want to oversimplify people and we want to either have Lincoln be the hero that emancipated right. enslaved people, mm -hmm. or we bring up that maybe he actually didn't have the progressive ideas on race that we think. And we, mm -hmm. we think that that means we should knock, you know, tear down his memorial or his monument, mm -hmm. right? And so I, I like exploring kind of the area in between. So my understanding and the way I talk to, talk to my students about it in U.S. history, and then I'm curious for you to tell me how I'm right, wrong, or missing a lot of information is that Lincoln seemed to be in a scholarly way opposed to slavery. He seemed to be opposed to the practice of slavery in an academic way. Um, personally, he still had, I, I know I've seen quotes from him, from him about the so-called inferiority of black people compared to white people. Mm -hmm. Like he definitely was not this anti-racist kind of mm -hmm. woke president <laughs> saying, oh, I think that everyone should be equal in every way. Um, and he was really uh, pragmatic even when he was running for president and basically saying, oh, no, no, Southerners, you can keep slavery. I'm mm -hmm. just saying we shouldn't extend it anymore. So mm -hmm. very much this kind of moderate, it seems like, you know, this is what I'm curious about is I'm curious about if we know about his own personal beliefs on like, did he personally think slavery was morally horrible, but he just was a politician trying to kind of toe that middle line? But I do talk to my students about the nuance that just because someone was maybe either anti-slavery or anti, maybe a free soiler, right, against the expansion of slavery doesn't mean they were what we would now call anti-racist, right? Mm -hmm. Those are different things. Right. Um, so I'm curious, where if, if you're going to give me a grade, where where am I on the spectrum? Am I am I in the ballpark? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I okay. mean, I think you know that's that's definitely um, a, a pretty that's definitely a pretty accurate synopsis of where he stood. Hmm. Um, what I have found is that a lot of historians, um, as you said, people tend to want to um, valorize or glorify, deify a lot of these historical figures. And especially now in this age of like people waking up to 
the realities of what some of these founding fathers were really about and some of the, the transgressions that our country has committed and mm. wanting to be more honest about that, I think there's even more of a backlash against that, the, you know, the, the truth of these people, you know, coming out and, and being reported on. And it's like, don't don't tear down our sacred cows and don't tear down our statues. And we have to remember to lift these men up. And there's this, you know, this counter narrative that's like, hey, you know, let's let's not emphasize that. Let's yeah. not talk about that, you know. Um, but I think we we have to kind of get to a place where we're ready to to take on an honest view of these, these men, mostly men, and see mm -hmm. them as men. Yeah, because that's exactly what they are. Yeah, they're they just are people. Not, yeah, they're people. They're human beings, and their faces probably do not belong on the side of a mountain, even though, you know, some of the faces are on the sides of mountains. And, you know, I mean, that they, they probably don't belong, you know, in, 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 in uh, as, as statues and, and all of this, you know, the, the deifying that, that yeah. we like to do, it just probably is all out of place. Yeah. Anytime you like build a statue and deify and turn them, turn people into this sort of great man of history, right? You just stop any conversation about them. It makes it almost right. impossible to have an honest conversation about that person because all of a sudden they become about something bigger. They're like, a, yeah. they're an idea. And so, right. and I think Lincoln right. is one of those for us and Lincoln is one that I think especially white Americans love to cling to, right? Yeah. Because he was on the right side of history. And we're like, right. oh my gosh, after, especially in a US history class, after learning for hundreds of years about all these terrible things, it's like such a relief, I think, for white students to get to Lincoln and be like, yes, yeah. a white guy who did something right. So if then we want to bring up, if we want to bring up, well, actually, here's the asterisk next to that. It's like, there, I, I get why a lot of people are like, please just let us have <laughs> right. this guy, exactly. you know, let us have this one. <laughs> So yeah, what do we know about him in terms of his, or do we know about his like personal, separate from the political view of slavery? I mean, he, I know he grew up like on the frontier, not really in the South. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, what what do we know about that? Yeah, well, he yeah he was born in Kentucky, kind of Southern Kentucky. He moved to Indiana when he was a young child, and so yeah, it was kind of more that. Uh, border states or northern states. I mean, Indiana outlawed slavery pretty early on. So Lincoln didn't really grow up around slavery. He didn't grow up in an environment where he would have witnessed that or that would have been normalized for him. Yeah. And as far as we know, he didn't really grow up seeing a lot of black people, period. He wouldn't have grown up seeing a lot of free black people either. There really yeah. were not a, a lot of black folks in Indiana at all, um, where he mostly grew up. So his experience of just being around black people would have been very limited, mm. uh, but he had his moral stance against it because again, it was just wasn't normalized in his world. And so by, you know, from all, by all accounts and from all appearances, his stance against slavery was, was a, an honest one. Oh. And it was, it was a moral one. He did not, you know, he was very consistent about that through his life. He abhorred the institution of slavery um, and there's a story of him, or there's a, there's a letter that he wrote to a close friend of his where he talked about seeing black people chained up on a, a steamboat that he was taking through St. Louis or someplace. And he, he said just the looks on their face, you know, just the, the sight of them yeah. was just something that was, it was so repellent and it was so heartbreaking. He said, even though they were some of the happiest people on that ship, they found a way to just find joy, I guess, in, in their chains. They were on the ground, on mm -hmm. the floor. Um, in, and, in, and chained to each other, yeah. but they, they somehow were still joyful in that state. But he said he just, his heart just 
went out to them. And so, you know, we have re recountings of personal conversations that he's had with, you know, the friends of his where he does express his genuine feelings about wow. slavery and his opposition to it. So I, we have every reason to believe that that was a true uh, moral stance that he took and that that was not simply a, a political or strategic stance. He, yeah, especially he, he as a historian, I, I talk about this with my students too, like a private letter to a friend is gold. Yes. Like a private letter to a yes. friend is like, yes, because yeah. it's not a speech. It's not a letter to a friend as the president of the United States, right? It's earlier right. in his career because I mean, in the way that any historical document can be truthful and honest, it's like a diary that's not intended to be read or a private letter to a friend are some of the best sources as far as getting into kind of the mind of some of these people. So that's fascinating. Yeah. I didn't know that element. Yeah, yeah, that's, I completely agree. That's, um, it's just, a, it's such a window into their, you know, true thinking. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, there's no reason that we have to believe that um, Lincoln um, didn't have true uh, anti-slavery feelings. Now, did that make him an abolitionist? No, because an yeah. abolitionist was a very specific thing um, at that time. An abolitionist was really someone who was non-political. They, they did not believe that achieving abolition was something that necessarily could be achieved through political means. Oh, they weren't necessarily about like voting for this candidate or that candidate or anything like that. They were really more, more wanted to be the moral voice of, of the nation. Um, and so, no, he wasn't with that camp. And even uh, he had a series of debates with a man named Stephen Douglas that he had gone against in the state legislature and then in the, you know, for the, the Nash, for a national Senate race in 1858, I think it was. Yeah. And they ended up having a debate about this because Stephen Douglas was more um, right leaning and he was um, just absolutely against the idea of emancipation and you know, there were all these accusations that were being thrown at Lincoln, especially after he joined the Republican Party. The, the Whig Party uh, broke up and he joined the Republican Party, which really had an anti-slavery stance. And so after that, there were all these accusations that, oh, you are, you know, a, a Negro lover. You're someone who believes in abolition. You're yeah. someone who wants to start all this radical stuff. And Stephen Douglas would he would bait him. And he would, you know, basically try to force Lincoln's hand and, you know, into saying some radical things. I mean, it's a, you know, political strategy, right. um, throw these really extreme positions out there and, you know, force, force the, the uh, your opponent to, you know, basically put his money where his mouth is. So yeah, Lincoln, go on the record saying something, right. you know? <laughs> yeah. something awful. Uh, so Lincoln, you know, he made a series of statements in those debates in 1858 with Stephen Douglas that were, you know, are very damning at this point. Yeah basically saying, I have no intention of, you know, advocating for emancipation. I think there are very basic biological differences between black and white people. Mm. I believe in the superiority. This is Lincoln speaking. Yeah. I believe in the superiority of the white race. And I don't believe black and white people will ever be able to live together. Um, and so, you know, we don't really have reason to believe that Lincoln, any, anytime you bring, bring that up, because I did a video a couple of years ago on this specific topic yeah. for TikTok. And if you bring that up, you know, there are a lot of apologists in the comments going, well, you know, he was just in a political debate. That's right. just what he had to say. He was just being politically expedient. And then the first question I'll ask is, well, what reason do we have to think, as you said, like with personal letters or, or, or anything, statements that were made later on, what reason do we have to believe that his position shifted or that that was mm -hmm. just a thing that he said to be politically expedient? Do we have um, any information that came from him, any statements that came from him? that would contradict what he said. 
Hmm. I don't think we do. I that I've seen, I have yet to see anything that that shows me that his that that was not his genuine feeling, or that his position about the inferior inferiority the the uh, inferiority of black people ever shifted. So he what you're saying, other... you're saying that based on the private letters, there's no evidence of a shift until we get to the public debates? Or you're saying that looking at the public debates, we don't have any really evidence around that that shows that he was like maybe just saying that for voters and just doing it out of pragmatism or whatever? Right. I think Lincoln was really kind of silent yeah. on the issue of race and on his personal feelings about race. It really wasn't something that was advantageous for him right. to bring up in, you know, much before that Stephen Douglas debate. Stephen Douglas forced him into a very open because that was, you know, that was just the talk of the land at that point, the mm -hmm. whole idea of emancipation and, you know, what are we going to do about all of this? It just had become the hot button issue at that time. So there there came a point in 1858 where he could not, Lincoln could not avoid talking about it. So at the point where he was forced to take a position about it, then we start to see and understand some of his personal feelings about it. And I don't think we have evidence to show that his personal feelings differed from those statements that he made in the Stephen Douglas debates. I mean, we can yeah. we have heard him speak of having a personal sense of compassion in that letter, as I said, to his friend, where he said, this is heartbreaking to see them chained up. And I am, you know, this, this institution itself is repellent. And it's, you know, we have to, he said something about having to really just shove his feelings down. And we have to, mm. we as Northerners have to tolerate so much to allow the South to continue with this institution that we deeply are, are against. So we know he was genuinely against the institution of slavery. Yeah, but, but we don't have any evidence that he, you know, at any point in his career took any sort of step to, you know, end the institution, to challenge the institution, right? I mean, I, I totally see what you're saying now. It's like, and it's one thing, and I think we can all relate to this to some extent. It is one thing to privately be like, that thing that's going on is horrible, and I'm against it. And it's mm -hmm. a whole other thing to decide that you're going to take action on it, right? Yeah. Those are two different things. And so, and I think that's something that, especially students, right? We really simplify. We're like, oh, anyone who was against slavery was an abolitionist, which is why I really like your description of that. Like an abolitionist is a radical, right? I mean, there's someone who right. is really wanting to almost work outside the institutions or overturn or change right. institutions. They're not like, let's all just go vote and say, please emancipate. There's, and so there's all this, there, there's this whole spectrum of feeling. And so I mm -hmm. do think... You know, if we're looking at the spectrum, either being actively pro-slavery or anti, Lincoln's on the anti side. Yes, but he's pretty, but he's close to the middle, right? I mean, he's not really wanting, he's not really putting his money where his mouth is, especially his career as a lawyer, right? Like he's, he's trying to, like you said, stay silent on the issue, which, to be fair, is what most politicians, what most mm -hmm. white politicians were doing, right? We're I mean, doing, that's what they were yes. doing is like, do not talk about this issue. It is there was literally a gag rule in Congress for what at least a decade where you just couldn't right. have these discussions. So it's not that he was the only one, but obviously we're judging him now because he's the one that goes on and becomes his legacy is <laughs> right. emancipation, right? So. Right. Oh, man. Yeah, I think he, he comes under, of course, a lot more scrutiny because he was the president of the United States and it was upon him, it fell upon him to really do something about it because so many people had been kicking. I mean, Thomas Jefferson was kicking the can down the road. I have mm -hmm. you know some videos I'm going to start doing on, on his legacy, which was, I would say, as complicated as Lincoln's, if yes. not more, it was more complicated than Lincoln's. 
because uh, yeah, he my understanding as well. <laughs> I was going to say, my understanding of Jefferson, Jefferson is the one that people get mad at me whenever I talk, anytime I talk about Jefferson, people are going to be mad. And I never know from which direction they're going to come, but I know they're mm -hmm. going to be mad. But Jefferson, yeah, has all oh, these writings that are like, ridiculous. oh, this institution is horrible. <laughs> like, right. it has to end, right? I mean, and right. you're going, Jefferson? Like, <laughs> what? And it's just, yeah, so I think I think it's really important to recognize that, yeah, there's there's private feelings, there's personal feelings, there's mm -hmm. political action, there's, and, you know, if we equate it to today, right, I mean, there's a lot of us watching the news, and we'll watch the news about kids being separated from their family at the border, right. and we go, oh, my God, and I'll make a Facebook post about how sad it is and how awful mm -hmm. it is. That's not the same as me then dedicating my life to making sure right. that those, you know, it's like those are, right. and it's like, I'm on the right side of it. But to me, Lincoln's like letter to his friend is sort of like, well, I made a post about it. And I said, right. I said, hashtag black lives matter. Right. But like, are you actually are actually doing anything about it? And of course that comes into play when he actually has the power as president to do right. it. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, you know, the, the sticking point that I usually run into with most people having conversations about this usually happens in the online space, but the sticking point that I usually run into with people is, is you know, not so much it was against slavery or for slavery. Mostly the record shows that he was uh, very consistently against slavery. And I think most people can understand that and not really taking action in a mm. political sense. But when it comes down to his actual personal feelings about black people, yeah. was Lincoln a racist? Was mm. he a white supremacist? When it comes down to that question, that's when even people who appreciate the nuance, people who consider themselves is, is pretty, you know, knowledgeable yeah. or critical thinkers or pretty progressive or whatever they, they clench that's up. when you usually get the pushback. Yeah. Yeah. That's when it starts to get kind of a little testy mm -hmm. because I feel like there's a lot of equivocation that happens around Lincoln, even with Lincoln historians and because there have been so many I guess, white men in that space of, of documenting uh, so many aspects of Lincoln's life. There have been very few people whose lives have been documented as well as Lincoln's and who have been written, very few people who have been written about from so many different perspectives as Lincoln, but they're mostly all male and they're mostly all white. Right. Um, and there, there is a, there's a man named Lerone Bennett who just passed away a few years ago, who is a black man who has, who was a Lincoln historian. One of the very few, there probably have been two black men that have ever written about Lincoln. Wow. And so this is not a perspective that we hear about very often. So when, when you hear from, from black people and you listen to their perspective on Lincoln and whether Lincoln himself was a racist and was a white supremacist, um, you don't have that kind of equivocation. I think, you know, um, who is it? Henry Louis Gates is another person that has actually yeah. written about um, Lincoln. And it's not very difficult for a black person to conclusively say, yes, Lincoln was a racist. Yes, Lincoln was a white supremacist. Was racism and white supremacy uh, the common stance of, of that day and the common feeling of that day? Yes, it absolutely was. Yeah. The majority of America was racist and a white supremacist. It was unusual. To, to run into someone who, who wasn't, even someone who was against slavery, right. was probably a white supremacist. And the statements that Lincoln made in his debate with Douglas were absolutely white, suprem were white supremacist. Um, statements that he made even after he was elected. He had a group of, of black leaders, ministers, and, and free black people that he invited to the White House. He was, you know, conversely, the first president to invite black people who were not servants into the right. White House. He met with Frederick Douglass there, and he met with this group of black leaders in the White House. Is this the and one where he is the one where he he offered to like 
help them get ships back to Africa? Is yes. that is that this yes. conversation? Oh. The go back to Africa. Abe, it's <laughs> not what we need. Yeah. yeah, it's just like, oh, wow, he welcomed black people into the White House to tell them to go back to Africa. Yeah. That's, and he really thought he was doing something, right? Lincoln. He was he really thought he was like doing something great, right. I think was my take on that when I read about it. Yeah. What's your right. what's what do you what's your take on that? Yeah, he he invited them and, and his stance had been um, basically, I guess, a kind way is saying, you know, repatriation, mm-hmm. uh, what they call colonization at the time. But basically shipping all the black people out of, of the country. Yeah. If we if we allow emancipation to happen, we've got to ship them out of the country. And he was, you know, very eloquently told this group of black leaders like, hey, there is always going to be this issue between us. There's mm-hmm. always be problems between black and white people. And then he goes back to some of the same logic and language that he used in the Stephen Douglas debate, basically saying there's always going to be one race that's inferior and one race that's superior. And black people will always have this this grievance with us because they have a memory of what's been done to them. And white people will always have a, a, a kind of an, an antagonistic attitude towards black people. This is never going to be solved. We will never be a country. Echoing some of Jefferson's language, actually, mm-hmm. we will always be a country that has this kind of um, avarice between these two groups of people, and it will we'll never be able to live together peacefully. So the only way you all are the reason. This is this is another big mm-hmm. kicker. You are the reason that we have this horrible civil war that's going on between us. For those who say that the civil war was not about slavery, that was his statement to them. You are the reason we have civil war, not slavery itself. We're fighting this for you, you. so you're welcome kind of thing. Exactly. (laughs) The fact that you're here in this country is the whole basis for why we are fighting this war. So you gotta go, you gotta get out. If you leave, then we'll have nothing to be fighting about. And- is really yeah i remember talking about that meeting with some of my students and they were like i just seeing their eyes be like lincoln what are you doing (laughs) and and yeah it's one of those where i mean again i'm not excusing i'm trying to explain right that it's like i understand how he got there i understand from his perspective how he's like well you know we're just never going to be able to get past this thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we're never going to be able, white people are never going to be okay with black people being in their midst and vice versa. And it'd be one thing if that was some random citizen saying that it's another right. thing when it's the, it's the president of the United States where yeah. I'm like, if anyone, I'm like, you know, you could maybe do something about it. Like actually right. try to make it to where it could work. But it's interesting because as a quick little tangent, you said it's similar to what Jefferson said fast forwarding it's gonna be similar to like what marcus garvey's gonna say right he's gonna be like he's on the other side of this going you know what like i honestly think what's gonna be best for black people is just to go to africa and build up our own people and that's where you have this awkward like clansmen are like Mm -hmm. i like this marcus garvey guy right because he's he wants what they want they all want him gone so it's again it's so complicated um yeah and my impression is right the the black leaders i think they were like polite because they're speaking to the president of the united states Mm -hmm. but my understanding is they politely were like, no, thank you. We'll stay. Right. We've right. our ancestors are buried here. We're, right. we're Americans, right? Yes. We've been here probably longer than your ancestors have been exactly. here. So this is our country and we're not, yeah, they absolutely did not go for it, but it's just, you know, to speak of that, of his personal feelings. What, mm-hmm. what do we know of his personal feelings about race? The few times that we're hearing him speak of, you know, the, the sort of, 
biological differences and the you know the the ability of black and white people to live together and the superiority of white the white uh, quote unquote race yeah we're hearing a consistency you know mm -hmm. between that earlier douglas speech and the message that he's communicating to this group of black leaders that he invited to the white house and um, I'll add for a second, just for listeners, uh, you know, if, if they've listened to season one of my podcast, they should know this, but just for some context, right? I mean, this is the burgeoning era up to the height of, you know, scientific racism, yeah. right? So to yeah. remember that it's like Charles Darwin's book, which was about birds, not about people. I always like to clarify, I think Charles Darwin was actually an abolitionist or was in, at least was anti-slavery, but mm -hmm. um, he, um, that book came out, I think in the 18th. 40s maybe or something yeah. right so i mean this was considered like top science of the day if you were right. a learned man like lincoln who i right, didn't have formal education but was an incredibly intelligent man like it was considered scientific fact that there were separate races that were biologically different they you know i show my kids in the textbooks they have image you know drawings of the different brains and the different mm -hmm. skull sizes and it's yes. all to be very clear, garbage, mm -hmm. but it was at the time considered was, fact. Cutting and edge, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and so, you know, so again, it's like he 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 really to me is reminiscent of a lot of conversations we're even having today of people who are very well intentioned, who see problems, who see issues and go, yeah, there's a problem, but can't quite fully grasp the root of it and aren't maybe quite willing to challenge their assumptions enough to actually change the problem right. right yeah that i've just googled the origin of species that came out in 1859 oh 59 even closer so, so yeah yeah so that that would have been totally on you know on brand yeah for um that type of thinking and then you know even thinking about jefferson and 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 his his work i like i said i'm really going to dive into thomas jefferson i'm excited and some of the work that he did around basically solidifying these ideas of of racial inferiority and just you know what a, a child of the enlightenment that he was mm -hmm. and lincoln was as well you know lincoln was not a re religious man lincoln did not go to church Lincoln um, was was interested in in science and this this the Enlightenment heavily informed his thinking mm -hmm. um, as as well as it did Thomas Jefferson's. It's kind of interesting how close their um, their concept of race was when they lived you know almost a hundred years apart. Um, but yeah, his position I think was was fairly consistent throughout his career. The few statements that we've we've heard him make. Um, it, it is interesting to note too that he was he was a he was a friend of Frederick Douglass's. He considered Frederick Douglass, who was a black abolitionist, he considered him to be a friend. He was the the one black person we can probably point to that Lincoln had a, a genuine affection and friendship with. And he invited him a couple of times to the White House. And Frederick Douglass was was instrumental in helping Lincoln to to begin to see this issue of abolition differently. Um, yeah, it and had that's been, like, it's such a taboo subject. It's not to make light of this, but it does really feel it's giving the like, I have a black friend sort of energy, right? right? <laughs> of like, of like, well, well, go ask Frederick, like he right. knows that I'm and again, I'm not, you know, I, I still, you know, revere Lincoln and think he was wonderful. I'm very glad he was president at this yeah. time in our history. But I think it's fair to also go, okay, Abe, like inviting, you know, knowing one, the most famous celebrity right. black man, right, is <laughs> is not all that you need as president of the United States. But again, right. for that, I mean, 
compared to other presidents, it's way more than anyone else yeah. had done. He, so. Yeah, like I said, he was the only one who ever invited anyone that was black into the White House. Yeah, I think until it Teddy was interesting Roosevelt. that he did not invite Frederick Douglass to this meeting that he had with these black leaders to ask them to, to go back to, you know, to be shipped off to Panama or, or Haiti or someplace. Frederick Douglass he was probably not knew. Yeah, he's like, I know Frederick. He's, <laughs> he's not, not going to go like this. this. <laughs> he's going to be embarrassed by this. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And I mean, I don't I'm sure you have others, other things to talk about, too. But, you know, my other the other kind of understanding I have that I talk to students about is the Emancipation Proclamation itself. Yes. Um, and how you know, that document, while so important and like such a beautiful document and what it symbolizes was, in my view, and tell me if I'm wrong, was ultimately a military tool, right? It was a political yes. document written during the war to try to like drum up support for this war that had been going on, right? The, right. Um, what's, how do you, how do you kind of talk about or think about the Emancipation Proclamation? I mean, yeah, it was exactly that. It was a military document, which is what, um, you know, after after that strategic move was made, obviously we still needed the 13th Amendment to abolish mm -hmm. um, slavery altogether because that was kind of a very messy, clunky process of like, hey, we're going to issue this. And, you know, initially the, the Emancipation Proclamation was issued um, in late 1862. Mm -hmm. that, and it basically said, hey, if you do not lay down your weapons, Southerners, yeah. And um, just give up this fight. Uh, then then I will I will be prepared to to um, free your slaves. Yeah. And, you know, so ostensibly, if they had put down their weapons and given up the fight. Right. Slavery would have continued. <laughs> exactly. That's the thing is it's you know, I I, I make this joke to students when I talk about it. I don't know if you watch The Office, but the Emancipation Proclamation, the way students think of it is. The episode when Michael Scott learns that you can declare bankruptcy yeah, and he just like moments. yells, right? He's like, I declare, declare bankruptcy. bankruptcy. And everyone's like, that's not, you can't, he's like, but I right. declared it, right? And that's to me how the Emancipation yeah. Proclamation is. And it's, and it's even worse than that. Cause like you said, it was totally a military tool, right? We just fought the Battle of Antietam, I believe, mm -hmm. the bloodiest day in, in American yeah. military history. Lincoln's like, oh man, this is going to go on a lot longer than I thought. Mm -hmm. And people, especially in the North, white people are starting to wonder, like, do I want South Carolina to be part of the country? Like, why do mm. I actually care so much? So I think he understood that a lot of Northerners were starting to question, like, is this war worth it? Because I don't know, maybe we'd be fine being two separate countries, right? And so mm. he's also recognizing that one of the ways he can try to mobilize more support again is to make it a war about, in, in theory, freeing people from enslavement. Mm -hmm. um, and that will like boost motivation. And also, you know, it, I'm sure from his point of view, it'd be nice if the Southerners just said, okay, fine, we'll come back if you let us keep our slaves. Either way, mm -hmm. he probably would, would have been okay with that outcome. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the language in the Emancipation Proclamation kind of explicitly states that um, he's going to be okay with it. And the famous quote by him, if I could keep the union together and uh, free all the, the slaves, then I would do that. And if I could keep the union together and not free the slaves, then I would I would do that as well. So I think politically he was just, yeah, he was very strategic mm -hmm. um, politically with how he handled that whole situation. And, and, you know, but what I like to say is regardless of what the motivations were, he, he did it right um, at great cost to him. It was something that he ultimately um, had to give his life for. So I, I have a certain amount of respect for him for even
being just being the president who had to walk that process out. Um, And it's it's just still it strikes me just so deeply, just strikes me to the heart that this country's greatest battle was fought over over the enslavement of black people and that uh, whoever took that office would probably end up giving their life um, over this issue. This was the thing that splintered the country. This was the issue. It's yeah. still just when I really absorb that information, it's just like it's this blow to my chest that I still can't really get my head around. And it kind of explains why I still feel like we're, we're still in that um, theoretical war. I feel like we're still dealing with the aftermath of that war. It just has never fully gone away. I, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, two two things about that. I mean, on the next episode, I'm going to talk to you about the nullification crisis, which ties into this because it talks about like, well, well, what if could we have had a civil war without the issue of slavery being being the issue? And spoiler, my answer is no. Um, but it's like that that this was the only issue that people were willing to fight and die for mm-hmm. or against or whatever is is really really deeply sad when you think about it. And then I think even more, and this is where, you know, I'd I'd love to know your take on this of why being able to talk about Lincoln's, you know, difficult stance on, on not slavery, but on race and on black Mm -hmm. people is so important because to me, you know, if we can't even talk about it 150 years later, you know, I mean, if we're not even gonna be able to talk and agree on what it was about, it was 150 years ago, if we're not gonna be able to talk about someone like Lincoln and at least acknowledge that he had these problematic views, I mean, man, like God help us trying to talk about, you know, anything that's going on currently that's like directly yeah. impacting our lives today. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, I don't even know what your question was, but I, oh, I'm going off I know, on I my like ramble, but like, why is this important? <laughs> I guess is what I'm asking. Why do you think it's important that we can have a conversation like this about Lincoln? I think because, you know, like I said, I think that we are still in this ideological battle. I think we are still in this ideological civil war. I don't think we've ever left it. Um, I think all too often, my one of my undergrad degrees is in uh, German studies. And I think all too often, we love to invoke Hitler, and this is as bad as Hitler, and oh, what about Hitler this and Hitler that? but when we think about, you know, America's Holocaust, I think slavery falls, you know, solidly into that category. And when the Holocaust ended, the Allied powers came through and instituted corrective action. Yeah. They instituted corrective action. There was um, official atonement for what happened. I think when you you know, start considering the the compromise. I'm, I'm blanking right now. I think it's called the Compromise of 1877 when Rutherford yeah. B. Hayes comes through. Um, and all of the Northern troops are removed uh, in the middle of Reconstruction. I just did a sketch a couple of, a few days ago, maybe last week, I did a sketch, a, a kind of a comedy, like a satirical sketch, mm. um, basically tracing America's progression through you know, the Civil War and through Reconstruction and through Jim Crow and just, you know, gerrymandering and redlining. And it's like, you never got this crap out of your hair, America. It was a, yeah. it was a, an analogy about America putting a bunch of junk in its hair and never really getting this crap washed out. And it just keeps adding other we things. We needed the deep cleanse. Things. We needed yeah. the like once a week deep <laughs> right. cleanse before we started doing all the conditioning stuff. Exactly. Yes. And yes. yeah, I was like, oh, I just put some Jim Crow in here. It's like, no, you didn't get the slavery and uh, washed out. And you didn't let me use the Reconstruction in your hair. And that was, you know, so such now- a 
good and horrifying yeah. analogy. Yeah, it, it came to me in the in the shower, but it was just like, you know, they were in the middle of the process of reconstruction, and you know, yeah. the northern troops are there, and they're you know, black people are running for office, and really, it really seems that there is maybe some progress that is being allowed to be made because of the presence of northern troops. And yeah. then they do this compromise of 1877, where they negotiate to have all of the northern troops removed, mm -hmm. and it cuts that process short. Yeah. And I think that, you know, we don't really talk about that as much as we should as being kind of this weird, awful turning point for our yeah. country because the process of of atonement and repentance and recompense, that process was never completed. America yeah. never really, there were no allied troops to come in and say, hey, you did a really, really bad thing and we're not going to let you go back. Um, and do that thing again or teach that that thing wasn't really as bad as it was or what happened right. didn't really happen. You know, the daughters of the Confederacy are coming in and changing textbooks. The sons of Confederate veterans are coming in and putting up statues and monuments as well as the daughters. And, you know, we have now groups like the flaggers who are just all about erecting these Confederate flags and monuments and changing the story. And there are, you know, for for decades, for a hundred in for a hundred years or more now, 150 years there has their false history has yeah. been taught around this and there was you know the america never atoned for this mm -hmm. it never atoned for what it did to native americans and that's you know that's the fundamental issue i think that we're dealing with right now in this in this country so this is the reason that it is important for us to be to be talking about this right now is because we haven't really dealt with this. It's like right. this really deep, ugly wound that has never been cleaned out properly. It's just festered and it's, it's, it's gangrenous. It's, it's, yeah. it's still not healed. We're still I think not this healed. is also, yeah, to that analogy, it's like we've stuck a bunch of band-aids on it, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like right now people like you and me and a lot of other people are trying to rip the band-aid off and like, no, people don't like that, right? I mean, people yeah. don't, it hurts. People don't like it. They don't right. want it. And they're like, why do I have to go back and talk about this thing from 150 years ago? But you're exactly right. It's like, if your foundation is not solid, if you can't all agree on some basic facts, if we don't, have like a similar kind of understanding and a healthy understanding of race relations in the country and what's true and what's not true. It's like, we can't, we can't get to the more complex stuff. Right. And so yeah. we, and I think that's why talking about Lincoln in this way is so scary, especially to a lot of liberal people is because they don't want to give up one of their heroes. And I <laughs> right. think there's a lot of people that are afraid of giving any fodder to someone who will be like, see, everyone was terrible at the time. You know, like when, right. when it's so life and death that you're like, well, there's people out there that still genuinely think the Civil War wasn't about slavery at all and that it wasn't an issue at all. It's like, I think there's a lot of people well-intentioned who go, well, I'm going to hide that little quote from Lincoln because I just don't want to give them any excuse to be able to cut him down in any mm -hmm. way, right? And yeah. unfortunately, that's not really the way it works. <laughs> You have to be yeah, honest. Yeah, I think, you know, it's like we were saying at the beginning, I think we, we have to accept that our heroes, even someone like Martin Luther King mm -hmm. Jr., our heroes are always going to be complex. They're going to be complicated. They're, it's going to be a little bit messy when you really start peeling back the layers. Yeah. None of these folks are, are, are faultless or blameless. Mm -hmm. None of them, especially when it comes to their personal lives. A lot of them are just, they're men getting away <laughs> with a lot of crap that men uh -huh. got away with. Yeah, um, the the <laughs> Me Too movement, I was like, whoa, go back to the history books, right? right? Yeah, right. Oh, man. Yeah. Is So is there anything else as we're wrapping up? Is there anything else that you, that you maybe came across about Lincoln and his views, something that you want people to know about that you're like, I feel like this is something that's not discussed. Is there anything else you wanted to bring up? 
Well, I, mean, I think ultimately it's important to say, as you were saying before, it's it's not a straightforward story. Lincoln's story is not straightforward, and it's not enough to simply say, oh, he was really this this um, uh, horribly racist, awful person that just did this for strategy's sake. Yeah. Um, before he signed um, the Emancipation Proclamation, he, he made a statement, um, something to the effect of, I really want people to know... He, has, he had been, they said he'd been shaking hands with people all day because he had had people in the White House and his hand was very weak and he was quivering. And he said, I don't want to sign this with a quivering hand. I want people to know that when I did this, I'm totally paraphrasing, I want people to know that when I did this, I did it declaratively, I did it purposefully, wow. and I did it from a place of moral conviction. Again, totally paraphrased, but that was essentially what he said. And it was a yeah. very big moment. He wanted people to know that this was an affirmation of his true and deep feelings about this institution. So I think ultimately that's the takeaway um, here is that yes, there was political strategy involved, but Lincoln was carrying out in a way that he didn't know that he would even be able to when he was elected. He didn't know he would be able to carry out um, this, this political affirmation of his personal beliefs, yeah. but it was just that. It was a political affirmation of his personal beliefs. And mm. I think history um, should very much record that um, about him. And that should not be lost in this conversation. I love that. So we'll, we'll keep the memorial up. We'll keep the monument yeah. up. We don't need to tear it down. Right? <laughs> right. But we can also be honest and accept that he was a human man, not a God. Yeah. And that, you know, he, he had views that at the time and today are, would not be, <laughs> okay but his mm -hmm. legacy ultimately is a positive one like i'm glad yeah. he did the things he did yeah. i wish you know if 2023 emily wishes he had said and did some different things but that's probably unreasonable for me to yeah want to yeah. want someone to be able to do that in that time so yeah great and he you know again he paid the ultimate yeah. price for his his stance as imperfect as it may have been he paid the ultimate price and so for yeah. that reason um yeah he, he gets some credit in my book he gets a lot of credit yeah. He did more than a lot of others. Well, well, thank you. That was really fascinating. I'm really excited now because on the next episode, I'm going to teach you about, not teach you, but we're going to talk about the nullification crisis because Yay. I think it's one of those, I always thought it was really boring in U.S. history class. I'm like, oh, it's about tariffs. Who cares? But, um, but it's a really interesting case study of like, could we have had a civil war if the issue wasn't slavery? And I think that we'll be able to kind of come back to some of these conversations. So mm -hmm. uh, for now, thank you so much for teaching us all about Lincoln. Where can people go find you if they want to hear more of what you have to say? Uh, they can find me on all social media, TikTok, Instagram. Um, I'm Dara Star Tucker, most places. Dara with one R, Star with two. Dara Star <laughs> Tucker. Uh, Instagram, I'm Dara Tucker B. And um, yeah, that's it. They can find me online. Awesome. And on Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> on Wikipedia. I also have a show in New York on, nine, on of all days, 9-11 at a place called Dizzy's Jazz Club. So I'm, a, I'm actually a singer by trade, but I, I have a show in, coming up in, in September. Oh, that's amazing. Okay, so yeah. if anyone's in the New York area, <laughs> All right, well, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. I've enjoyed being here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening and thank you to my guest, Dara Star Tucker. Again, go follow her on all social media at Dara Star, that's S-T-A-R-R -R, Tucker. You'll find her, you'll love her, you'll love her content. If you're in the New York area and you're listening to this kind of live, maybe go try to ch check out her show on September 11th. 
On the next episode, it's going to turn around and I'm going to teach Dara about an event that no one else really talks about because it seems really boring on the surface, but I promise it's not. And it's called the nullification crisis. The nullification crisis is for me the single most useful event when I want to get into a discussion about with someone who wants to argue that the Civil War was not about slavery. Basically, this is one of my favorite little gotcha moments. So if nothing else, if you just want to be petty like me and want to be able to arm yourself with just another way to combat this discussion with people who want to argue that the Civil War was somehow not about slavery. Oh, it was just about the economy or heritage and states' rights, whatever. Listen to the next episode where I will walk Dara through kind of my reasoning of why the nullification crisis in the 1830s is really good proof that in fact the Civil War for most of the Confederacy was actually about slavery because if it wasn't, we would have had the Civil War during this crisis. As always, thank you for your support. Please like and share this podcast. Let people know that I exist. If you can, please go to patreon.com slash antisocial studies. And thank you for listening. And I'll talk to you next week.